0: My trauma came over the last three years, and when you have trauma, it can go one or two ways. I certainly wanted to address mine, and I wanted to ensure that my children didn't have to deal with theirs later.
1: I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5ish with The Skin. Hey everyone, it's Danielle. Today, our guest is Elizabeth Chambers. Elizabeth is a TV host and culinary entrepreneur. She's most known for being the owner and founder of Bird Bakery. Bird opened its first location in San Antonio, Texas back in 2012, and it's now expanded to four locations in the US and abroad. Prior to launching Bird, Elizabeth was known for her hosting roles on E! News and Current TV, among other networks. And today, you can see her on Today as a contributor on the Today Show and as a guest judge on the Food Network. Elizabeth, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you, Danielle. Nice to be here. So we like to warm up, do a little pregame with a lightning round. So quick questions, quick answers. You ready? I'm ready. What's the first job you got paid for? Modeling. When I was like 15.
0: Oh, no, I was eight, actually. I was, a, I was a model for Gap Kids in San Francisco.
1: What kind of campaign was it? Like the holiday campaign?
0: I think it was just like their basic, I don't know if it was the days of catalog and I'm aging myself. It wasn't a particular campaign, but it was to be a Gap Kids model. And we shot there and then I kind of like launched my career from there.
1: Are you a meeting person or an email person? Meeting for sure. What's your favorite baked good from Bird?
0: Carrot cake. My grandmother's carrot cake. It's been my birthday cake for as long as I can remember. And it is hands down the best carrot cake you will ever, ever, ever have in your life.
1: Do you prefer to cook dinner or bake desserts? I live in the kitchen.
0: I mean, you should see what I'm cooking for dinner tonight. I'm doing this like crazy dish I've never done. It's a take on a Greek lasagna, but like with a twist. And then I have three dozen cookies happening. So I would say baking is more my therapy Like, that's what I do when I need to de-stress. And then cooking is just like when I'm excited to make something for my kids. But I have like a proper full-on breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. So I live in the kitchen. (laughs) What is your morning routine? My morning routine is we're like all hippie. Like, we all sleep in the same bed. We're like very much (laughs) attached. Wait, stop. No, I do. I know I'm such, I'm crazy, but like, so we wake up and then, My alarm goes off at six. I let them sleep till 6.30. I go and start breakfast. While they're eating breakfast, I do the lunches. We get ready quickly. It's not always smooth sailing. Someone's gonna have a meltdown about the socks being the wrong way. As you know, like if we can get out the door with all peace and nobody elbowing each other at the table, that's a win. So I just try to like really set myself up for success as much as I can the night before because every minute counts.
1: So two final lightning round questions. Last TV show you binge watched.
0: That's a very good question. I watched Firefly Lane until like five in the morning the other night. I thought it was such a sweet show. It's like very different than what I normally watch. And yeah, it was totally exhausted for two days, but well
1: worth it. I didn't watch the latest season because Carly told me that it would be like really emotionally draining. She's like, don't watch it yet. She advised you correctly. (laughs) This is a tough one. So I saved it for the last lightning round question. What is something we can't Google about you?
0: Oh my gosh. i probably a lot. I feel like I don't really put a lot out there. I was thinking that today. There's so much I, in theory, would love to share, especially in the mom space, but there's a lot you can't Google about me. I would say, hmm, like, parenting approach, I would say. I don't really talk about a lot like I do on my platforms in terms of like sharing some articles and stuff, but it's something that I'm so incredibly passionate about. And I think we're all learning new ways together and, you know, new ways that we didn't experience. So I'm not sure that that's Googleable. Like if you did a deep, deep, deep dive on my social media, you would know, or if you've been following me for a few years, you would know how passionate I am. But it's definitely not something that I share as much
1: as I would like. Okay, let's dive into it. So we're going to start off by talking about your early career. So after Gap Kids, you, you know, were covering news and entertainment. You worked across lots of different networks. When you think back to those early days, what was your, like, motivation in your career? I mean, my why was always the same. I feel really fortunate about the
0: fact that I knew what I wanted to do from the time I was very young. For as long as I can remember, I always loved people's stories. My mom was like, it was really annoying, actually. You would like interview every cab driver or you had to like have long drawn out conversations with the people at the checkout line, like people behind us were annoyed. But I think I've always loved knowing what makes somebody tick and what brought them to the place that they are, you know, at this moment that that we're meeting. And so I always really just thought Oprah, I mean, everybody thinks and knows that Oprah is the end all be all. But I remember being like six and thinking that what she was doing was so selfless and also so interesting. And like that that would be a dream job because you could literally help people, learn about people, and every day is something new and different. And my mom was also born in the same town where she was from, Kosciuszko, Mississippi. So that's kind of like their claim to fame. So I think even early on, I was very aware of her and the impact that she had on our society i've always known that stories are what drives me and what makes me tick
1: so talk to me about pivoting from that to bird yeah
0: it was it was really interesting so food is in my family my grandmother's an incredible baker and chef and she had her own catering company my sister went to the french culinary institute my mom is chefy like my dad's, everyone's in the food and wine business. And I always knew that I was going to open Bird as an homage to my grandmother. I thought I would wait till I was like 55, had finished hosting the Today Show, was really just looking for something to do. And thank God I did not wait that long because truly like you just need all the energy in the world. I opened in my late mid to late 20s. And I cannot tell you, I would say like three nights out of seven, it was an all-nighter and sleeping at the bakery. And it's really laborious and very physical, much more than I anticipated. But I had a few shows that were all in air and they were canceled one after another. And I just thought, you know, in addition to studying journalism, I have a background in marketing and business. And I thought the thing I love about business and marketing is that you really can control your destiny. In journalism, in television, in Hollywood, you know, if the ratings aren't on point, if you don't have funding, anything can affect, you know, you can go to work and work nine to five-ish every day and do your job and not necessarily be rewarded for it in a way of consistency. So I love the idea that if I want to sell more lemon cupcakes that aren't selling, I can move them to the register. I can put them on offer. I can post about them. And so it just felt like the time was right. And so I opened Bird and it's right in the middle of where my grandmother's catering company was.
1: Oh, I love that. Was your grandmother, is she still with us? No, she passed away, but she was my best
0: friend. I mean, she was my best friend in the whole world. And she is with me every day at that location. I know for a fact. And my mom was such a culinary, a female culinary entrepreneur in her own right as well. Just after college, she opened one of the first health food stores in San Antonio. And so her store is on the other side. So we're literally in a triangle, all less than a mile and a half of this little space in Alamo Heights, San Antonio. It all felt like kismet and all felt aligned and the right timing. And I honestly didn't even question it for a minute. Like it just felt like that was my destiny that was supposed to happen then and there. And this is so dorky, but I had this like little garden cart in the very beginning and I had a bird feeder and this bluebird came every single day for the first two years we were open. And somebody said, oh, this is your grandmother visiting. That's a sign that's, you know, that she's visiting. And now we don't even have the garden cart. And I still see the bluebird every time I come there. And it's just like, feels truly like a full circle moment. You know, her friends, her old clients showed up and gave me pictures that I would have never seen of her and told me stories that I would have never heard. So I feel like our first original location, which we opened almost 12 years ago, that's like where she is every day. And I feel it.
1: I love that my mom passed away and I always talk about seeing cardinals, which was like her favorite bird. Yes, I love that. I was just talking to someone who's decided to become an entrepreneur. And it's funny because I started thinking about it very similarly to you, which is there used to be like the safety net if you worked at a big company, right? But I felt like in, in quitting my job and starting my own company with Carly, it was like, you can't control most things, but you can control like how hard you work and the effort you put into it. And ultimately, like I was betting on myself. It sounds like that was kind of part of your thinking in deciding to start. Also, you know, it's interesting that you say like there were a couple of projects that like stalled and it was Kismet. But I also think at the same time, like it's never exactly the right time. So, how do you think about the experience now of actually taking the jump and starting something?
0: I feel like. Well, there are a few things that really drive me and so many things that I still want to do. But I feel like if you're not going to do it, somebody else will. And really, if you are going to ever regret, like I don't want to be on my deathbed and say, oh, my gosh, I talked about opening a bakery, you know, for 20 years and it never happened. And I think if you're really passionate about something and that is a fiber of your being, then you need to do it. For me in particular, I always had such a passion and and the passion I have for storytelling really translates to the hospitality industry. I love guests coming through the door. I love being part of their milestone celebrations or even just a cupcake after a baseball game and hearing their stories and really interviewing our guests and really being part of their lives. So I always knew that that was just something that was going to happen. And If you think about something so much and to your point, yes, like nobody's going to work harder for the, you than you. and. Where do you want to be? Like, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? If the answer is behind a desk and you, you check out when you leave, then like, then that is fine too. But I really and truly believe if you think about something every day and it's something that you would not be happy leaving this earth without completing, then you need to start now. And there's no excuse not to. You just find a way. And that's so much of entrepreneurship is just finding a way.
1: I love that. I think that's a really motivating way to put it. So, I'm sure many people listening obviously are familiar with your now ex husband, Army Hammer. At the time you were launching Bird, you guys were still married. His career was taking off. You were growing your business, which has done very well. And obviously, I would assume being married to someone that's famous, like there is just an association. How, and I think this is a question for anyone in kind of relationship where someone is either perceived to be or is more established in their career. How did you feel about that as an entrepreneur who was like defining something for yourself and also women going into business and how they think about having something for themselves, especially going into their own businesses?
0: No, absolutely. That's an interesting question. I haven't really thought of in those terms. You know, when we first met, we were super young and he didn't have a job and I was working a lot in TV. And then when I was opening and doing a lot of the you know, the crazy hours and overnight work, he started booking some of his more major roles. And it just really complimented each other. We complimented each other really well. You know, he was filming in at the time Lone Ranger, very close to Texas and Arizona and Utah. And I would come with dozens and dozens of cupcakes and cookies. And to this day, like I'm still really close with a lot of the crew members and the cast members who remember all the treats and are like diehard Bird Bakery fans because they were among the first to really experience my grandmother's recipes. And then, same thing with some of the other projects. Like, we didn't have kids until we were married for five years. And we really worked and traveled the country at that point and then later the world, but in a way that was launching, I believe, you know, at the same time. Like, it was very simultaneous. And it was great because Clint Eastwood loves my monster cookies. <laughs> great. If I had just been opening Bird at a different time, like I may have not been so passionate about the fact like I need to bring you some of my cookies, but I was so excited about sharing these recipes that I have loved for so long with the world. And I had a very captive audience on all of his sets. And yeah, I think it really just worked in a really beautiful way in terms of timing and our coming into our own passions and careers. It never felt at all like I was you know, sacrificing something or having like the the light wasn't shining brightly. Because honestly, I was just working so hard and super grateful to be able to share with people that were becoming close with us at the time.
1: I want to be very clear here to anyone listening. I think you can Google lots of things and I'm not telling you to, but to to learn more about ARMY. The focus that I want to have is on you and being a woman in business who has built something and also who is rebuilding after a divorce. And I imagine, you know, a lot of trauma associated with that. When I was looking at the timeline, so you opened the latest one in 2021, right? No, I just opened one two months ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you've opened then two locations since the divorce? Yes. Has that been a different process for you? in terms of how you think about your business now or the role that it plays in your life?
0: My company has always been something that I hope will be a family legacy, because for me, it truly is an homage to my grandmother, to my mother. Like, I really hope that ultimately it goes on for generations. So I've always operated from a place of family tradition, And work and business, that family looks different now than I thought it was going to look for the rest of my life. You know, I think divorce is terrible for anyone. And I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, no matter how you label it or seem like it's okay. I just think, especially for my, for kids and my children are my world and for any children, like it's never pleasant. It's never nice. It's the death of 9 million expectations. In my particular and everyone's particular case, like there is, trauma and potential trauma involved. And you just can't, you can't avoid it. You can't deny that. Like divorce is trauma. It's how you handle that. And so for me, I've just became really obsessed with doing the work for myself and doing the work for my kids and the future work that they might need or not need and protecting them. And so with that was also throwing myself into work and becoming even more aware of our plans. What's our two-year plan? What's our five-year plan? What's our 10-year plan? And I think when you have instability in your private life, it's a very natural instinct to find stability for your future. And I did that. And stability and healing became the priority in both my personal life, for me in particular, for my children, and then for the company as well. Like I needed to have a really, really clear plan. Not that I didn't need that before, but it just felt like you kind of batten down the hatches a bit, focus even more and plan like you would for your estate and family planning and all of those things. You just need to make sure like things are on lockdown and that your kids are taken care of.
1: A theme that I, you know, have picked up a little bit is is the idea of, I mean, obviously how close your family is to you and, and building this company in kind of an homage, as you said. And also when we're doing the lightning round, you know, you you said that you hadn't really talked about parenting and then that was something how you know invested you are and interested in different techniques. Obviously, and it makes sense given what your family's gone through and and protecting your kids, there was a time where you weren't doing a lot of interviews. Going through it in any sort of I, I think as a mom, you know, your kids look to you for how you're gonna respond. When you think about parenting now, have you parented differently? Has there been kind of an evolution, especially as what I love about how you talked about it was using this really rough experience to create something for them?
0: Yes, exactly. I think that we are living in a very interesting time in terms of future generations and parenting. You know, our parents' generation and their parents' parents largely like to sweep things under the rug. They like to pretend things were perfect. They'd like to pretend that, you know, any sort of family drama or trauma was non-existent. And as somebody with parents from the South, and I was born in Texas, like nobody loves like silver and monogram stationary, uh, monogram napkins and all of my monogrammed everything more than I did. Like, and I do. That's just I am like an old lady inside. Like, I just love a table setting. I love a Christmas card. I love all of those things that seem perfect from the outside. And in doing my work, in terms of, you know, I didn't have a lot of childhood trauma. Thank God. I feel really grateful. But my trauma came over the last three years. And when you have trauma, it can go one or two ways. I certainly wanted to address mine, and I wanted to ensure that my children didn't have to deal with theirs later. So I made it my life's mission and work for several years. I mean, for literally for three years to speak with every family separation therapist. And when I tell you I spoke with everyone from Ohio to Denmark to the Upper East Side to the Lower West Side, Like I just wanted everyone's information and experience. And then nobody knows your children, right? So then you kind of have to like throw it all away and just feel like this is what I know them. I know how they are. And you've never met them. Thank you for all of your advice. And then you proceed in a way that you believe is best for them. I've told you how attachment parenting I am. (laughs) And I've read every book. And like, I love, I love being a mom. I think it's the greatest gift and the greatest joy. But I had a bit of a curveball, right? Like, as I was learning things, all I could think about was, oh, my God. I don't want them to learn how to read. Like, how can I delay? everybody else wants their kids to learn to read? I'm like, how do we delay this process? I never want them to see the Internet, you know, and, and realizing like my daughter was six at the time. I'm like, she's starting to read and then realizing, OK, how do I equip them to realize that we are not our parents? We are not the choices that our parents make. And none of us are, but we're just in a very different space, obviously, when it's appropriate and when the time is right. They'll have the tools to address this or not address it, but nobody can weaponize something if you've processed it and if you know the truth. And I think that that was the biggest thing for me is how can I give them such a solid foundation? And for me personally, not have any anger, not have any resentment, not have an ill word in a way that they just feel peace at their home with both parents, whether we're together, or not, and clearly we're not. But, you know, that was the biggest thing. And a friend of mine who's really well-known, has an amazing podcast, called me and she said, Elizabeth, I have this memory, and it's the reason I've been in therapy for 30 years, of being with my mom and dad in the same room, and they hated each other so much that I felt like it was my fault, that I was bringing all of this emotion, and I felt guilty every single day, and I now bring on all this guilt and every day, and I can enjoy life, and I have all these issues that I'm working through I'm like no we like it doesn't have to be that way and we know more than our parents did so I think by us facing things head-on doing the work ourselves doing the work for our children as much as possible like everybody processes things differently but removing the animosity and any anger is step one and you know if you don't do it for yourself do it for your kids. And step two is really protecting them from the outside world was the most important thing to me at that time and still is right now. And then making sure that everything's just age appropriate as we talk about it. And I think, you know, as parents, if we haven't done the work or if we don't have the right resources, then the kids are really finding out things that aren't appropriate for their ages at the time. So that was like my biggest challenge and priority.
1: I mean, that's a huge challenge. Challenge and you have done the work. I'm curious. I'm like, what is the biggest tip you have for processing anger? Is it like throwing something at the wall? Is it? Uh, it's multifaceted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it involves margaritas.
0: Yeah, um, like, um, <laughs> tequila. There are a lot
1: of ways. <laughs> that could go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Totally. No, I went fully. Like, I went. I'm. I'm very much like a person of faith, and I truly believe that God does not give you more than you can handle. I have a very strong faith-based and a very strong relationship with God. And I'm, you know, I was raised Episcopalian, but also have had just my own personal um, relationship. And then I also am not opposed to tarot card reading. So I have like, I pray, I'm like, show me what I need to know. I'm not opposed to like writing. I, I love like manifesting. I love writing things out down, down that don't serve me and burning them and throwing them in the sea. Like basically it was all of those things. It was margaritas. It was manifesting. It was like all the things. It was sound baths. It was sound healing. It was there's a wonderful, wonderful woman named Janine who lives on the island. And she was really like a guiding light for me in terms of just digging deep and feeling. And, um, and then the reminder for me, like in particular, because as I said, so many things were just coming up every day of like, guess what? If you don't look at your phone, it doesn't necessarily have to exist. And, you know, just checking out with my kids for days at a time and letting people at work know that I'm sorry and delegating more than I normally would have and realizing like if somebody has to do it 60%, even though I know I would do it 100, that's okay right now. That's just for now. And like boundaries, favorite word after like love and Harper and Ford boundaries. You just have to do what works for you and realize that you're basically in triage mode in the beginning. And then it goes to, Hopefully some sort of stabilizing and then healing. And then, you know, you're walking and talking and you're out of the ICU and hopefully released from the hospital. Like that's kind of how I think of it in a way, just because at the time it seems so overwhelming. I think you just have to really step back and do what works for you. And, you know, that doesn't work for everyone. I see other people going through divorces and they are dating and the next day and, you know, to each their own. For me, that was not the route. Yeah. Yeah. Army and I had known each other forever. I felt, you know, he was like my person, you know, my soulmate, all those things. And it wasn't just something, forget even everything that happened, like it just wasn't something that I could move on from without processing it properly for me.
1: Well, I think that there's a lot of words of wisdom in there, I love a good sound bath. I have not done a family one, but maybe I should try.
0: We're not all in one bath, to be clear, for people who
1: are not familiar yeah, with Yeah, no, the that's sound bath, not what I mean. Just, yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> we have to. Make, I'm not that crazy, You're right, but, yes.
1: yeah. And I also think, you know, it, it was really, I hadn't thought to ask this, but I think it's a really good question too. Like there have been times where we've been running our business for 11 years. Over that time, life has happened. And there have been times where I've just had to, been forced to, delegate to people and be okay with like, there's, they're not going to do it the way that I would do it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always talk about that in terms of a learning process for the person, but we very rarely talk about it as when you are in charge, something that is just necessary for you.
0: Yeah. And it's self-care. I mean, it's also communication though. I think the people to whom you're delegating need to also know this is not forever this is not me stepping back and this is not going to get worse and worse but I think everything is communication right like just I need this and listen I it might get worse I don't know but right now this is where I am and I think that team members really respond to that and really appreciate that because everyone's dealing with their own stuff no matter what it is and you know they should be able to come to us if someone's has a, you know, a pet that passed away or whatever it is, or I want that to be a dialogue and humanity needs to come first.
1: I've got three questions to wrap up. The first is when is Bird coming to New York or I would settle for Chicago, but I would really like to try it.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, can you send some more bandwidth or some more people my way? And then (laughs) we'll get right on that.
1: (laughs) Okay. Maybe we'll talk about a pop-up. Um, yes, (laughs) we've got some extra room at skim HQ. Yes, please. (laughs) Next one. So we got a listener question from Jules who wants to know what's the best piece of career advice you've ever gotten. I want to change it up. Sorry, Jules, and say, what's the worst piece of advice you've gotten?
0: the worst piece of advice that I've ever gotten is to listen to people who have been doing this longer than you have. And I'm not saying not to listen. I'm saying consider the source. When we first opened, I cannot tell you how many food suppliers came in and said, listen, your cookie costs, you know, this amount of money, but we can can reduce the price by 45% if you just use this amazing product. And Growing up, my mom always used the natural Jif chunky peanut butter for our monster cookies. You cannot get that chunky peanut butter at Cisco. You can't get it at any food suppliers. So we are the crazy people that go to Costco and get like the ones that you use for home because it's it's the largest that we can get. We've reached out to Jif. And would it have been easier just to add this product that they were selling me, which is this big drum of basically peanut oil that yes, it would save us money, it would save us time, it would save us headache, but we're not compromising on product and we're not compromising on quality. And the people that were selling this to me had been in the business for 35 years, catering to other local businesses. So it would have been easy to say, yes, you know what you're doing, but no, you have your standards, you have your quality of standard and you have to have conviction for success. So have all of those boundaries, priorities, and proceed as necessary. Like, again, listen to everything. I'm not saying don't listen. Be a sponge. Just take what serves you.
1: Last question. Who's someone else we should have on this show?
0: Who is someone else you should have on the show? Have you had Whitney? Wolf heard yet?
1: Yes. Love Whitney. She's the best. Love
0: Whitney. She's a dream. Okay, let me think. Have you had Candace Nelson?
1: You know what? We haven't. I, I don't think we have. And I'm a big fan. So that's a great one.
0: Yeah, she's amazing. I love her and she really paved the way, the cupcake way.
1: (laughs) Our producer is telling me we have not. So that's a good one. Elizabeth, congratulations on everything. I hope nothing but good things ahead for you and your family. And it was really nice to speak with you. You as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account. I promise.